Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Thank you for standing by. This is the conference operator. Welcome to the Endeavor Silver Corp 2020 fourth quarter and year-end financial results conference call. As a reminder, all participants are in listen-only mode and the conference is being recorded. After the presentation, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. To join the question queue, you may press star then one on your telephone keypad. Should you need assistance during the conference call, you may signal an operator by pressing star and zero. I would now like to turn the conference over to Galina Meliger, Director Investor Relations for opening remarks. Please go ahead. Thank you, Operator. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Endeavor Silver 2020 fourth quarter and year-end financial results conference call. With me on the line today, we have the company's Chief Executive Officer, Bradford Cook, our Chief Financial Officer, Dan Dixon, and our Chief Operating Officer, Don Gray. Before we get started, I'm required to remind you that certain statements on today's call will contain forward-looking information within the meaning of applicable securities laws. These may include statements regarding Endeavor's anticipated performance in 20 and 21 and future years, including revenue and cost figures, silver and gold production, grades and recoveries, and the timing and expenditures required to develop new silver mines in mineralized zones. We do not intend to and do not assume any obligation to update such forward-looking information other than as required by applicable law. On behalf of Endeavor Silver, I'd like to thank you again for joining our call, and I will now turn it over to our CEO, Bradford Cook. Thank you very much, Galina, and welcome everybody to this uh, year-end financials uh, call uh, for Endeavor Silver. Um, Maybe I'll just start with some highlights. Uh, 2020 turned into uh, a very challenging year with the COVID pandemic, but ultimately uh, was one of our most satisfying years as our operational group really came through in the crunch. Um, We drove our costs down and coupled with higher metal prices that drove significantly higher revenues, higher cash flow, higher earnings. Um, We turned positive in terms of earnings for the first time in three years. And uh, notwithstanding the government-mandated two-month suspension of mining operations throughout Mexico, we were not only able to um, meet our uh, 2020 original production guidance, we delivered higher production and lower costs at each of the three operating mines. Uh, Perhaps last but not least in terms of high-level comments, uh, we obviously continue to focus on safety as our number one priority. And uh, for the second year in a row, Guanacaste, our largest mine, posted uh, more than a million hours worked without a lost time accident. So, um, kudos to again to our operations team. Let me touch on some numbers in today's news release, and then we'll open it up for Q and A. So, as I mentioned, a very good year in 2020, and we've certainly finished the year with a bang. Fourth quarter sales were 61 million dollars, up 81% year on year. Uh, cash flow was $22 million, 
up from negative 8 million a year ago. Uh, and net income was almost $20 million or 13 cents a share, up from a net loss of $18 million a year ago. Moving to the full year highlights, uh, we posted $140 million of revenue, up 15%. <coughs> Cash flow of $29 million before uh, working capital changes, up from negative $9 million, and uh, net income of $1.2 million, up from a net loss of $48 million in 2019. Um, our production was solid at uh, 6.5 million ounces of silver and equivalents, the only equivalent being gold. That was actually down 9% uh, from the prior year due to the closure of a now non-core uh, operation, the El Cubo mine. Cash costs at 5.55 per ounce of silver net of the gold credits was down 57%, so a significant reduction in cash operating costs. And the all-in sustaining costs were 17.59 per ounce uh, net of the gold credit, down 17% year on year. We finished the year with a very strong balance sheet. <clears throat> 61 million cash, 70 million working capital. And just a reminder that we started 2020 with 23 million cash. So it was a heck of a year for adding cash to the balance sheet. So those are the financial highlights from today's news release. I think, Operator, why don't we open this up now for Q&A? Certainly. We will now begin the question and answer session. To join the question queue, you may press star than one on your telephone keypad. You will hear a tone acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. To withdraw your question, please press star then two. We will pause for a moment as callers join the queue. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16 ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% lean ground sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. First question comes from Jake Sikelski with Alliance Global Partners. Please go ahead. Hey, Brad and team. Congrats on the strong fourth quarter, and thanks for taking my questions. Yeah, thanks, Jake. Just two uh, two quick questions on Terranera. Um, can you just provide us some color around the timing of the feasibility? I, I guess, are you seeing any delays in the timeline due to the pandemic? I, I know some of your peers have been seeing extended turnaround times on studies and, and whatnot. So I'm just curious how confident you are um, in the timeline for that. Uh, we're still reasonably confident. We had our uh, quarterly management meetings last week and the report from our director of project development was that we're almost bang on 50% complete the feasibility study. Wood is the uh, engineering consultant conducting this, the study on our behalf, but uh, our director of uh, project development is very active, obviously, in the whole process. Uh, we are targeting uh, a midsummer uh, um, receipt of the full uh, feasibility study. And that would allow us to go to the board for a development decision thereafter. That's, that's good to hear. Um, and then just switching gears to exploration, 
in the release, you touched on some Greenfield exploration at the new concessions at Terranera. I'm just, I'm just curious, what's the budget for that, and, and how much of a priority is, is that relative to exploration across the rest of the portfolio? So our uh, Terranera budget this year for drilling, uh, mostly uh, untested veins on this very large property, is $2 million. And we're focusing in two main areas this year, the southeast extension of the uh, the main uh, reserve in the Terranera vein is still open to the southeast, and we're testing an area uh, about a kilometre uh, further south along the same vein structure. It does um, splay into two or three different parallel veins at that uh, point, and um, we've had some encouraging results so far. The other one is uh, on one of the newly acquired properties to the west of our original holdings at Terranera, and uh, it's a big vein. Uh, it's called uh, Los Cuatos, and uh, so big as in up to 30 meters thick, and we've traced it for three kilometers, um, and we've just started uh, testing uh, various portions of uh, that vein system. So early days yet, but we are hopeful that uh, coming out of this year, we'll have not only a new discovery, but some new resources at Terranera. Okay, got it. That's helpful. Uh, that's all from my end. Thanks again, guys. The next question comes from Heiko Eiley with H.C. Wainwright. Please go ahead. Hey, Brad. Thanks for taking my questions. Hey, good morning. Hey. Hey, your firm recently exceeded a billion in market cap. Uh, congratulations. Has this done anything to your investor base? And on that same note, have you mm -hmm. seen people interested uh, that are able to purchase shares that previously weren't allowed to do so? and have the whole thing feed on itself a little bit? Have you seen anything like that? Have you gotten phone calls from people you've never really heard of before, funds that have, you know, mandates like uh, a market cap minimum? Uh, absolutely, Heiko. Um, I don't know if we're seeing it yet, but uh, in the coming uh, 12 days, uh, Endeavor is certainly under review to be added to not one but two indices. Um, we're uh, certainly qualify or appear to qualify for the GDX inclusion in the GDX index. We're currently on the GDXJ, uh, but we're also in line uh, and could possibly qualify for the S&P TSX 500 index. Both um, indices actually do their additions in the, I think the third week of March, so it's coming up here pretty quick. And we're hopeful that given our, our uh, billion dollar market cap US, uh, that we do qualify uh, to meet these two new indices, which is not just index buying, but a number of investors, institutional investors who only buy index stocks. So uh, it could open the door for more institutional involvement. Very helpful. Thank you. Uh, shifting gears quite a bit. I was going through your uh, 12.8 million in net deferred income taxes uh, on page 39 of the financial statements. The figure includes 18.4 million of tax loss carry forwards. Are there expiration timelines for for these assets? And if so, what's the timeline? And also, we're now in March, albeit March 1st. Have you managed to recover anything of this uh, some year to date? Yeah, Heiko, good question. Way to get into the depth of those financials. Note, I 26 or 36. Um, in that note, we actually show the exp expiration dates of our lost carry forwards. 
Uh, we are recognizing an asset related to those temporary differences. I believe nine million at Guanacaste and three million at Bolanitos. The timeline to actually chew through those lost carry forwards is about 16 months for Guanacaste and less for for uh, Bolanitos. It should be in 2021, so less than 12 months. Um, Q1s continued. Wait, my, to my understanding you. Am I understanding you correctly that some of these are expiring this year? With, no, with, sorry. You're, there's looking a, there's at, you're looking at D. You're looking at D on page forty, correct? Uh, I'm not looking at it, but uh, I know it, I'm oh. familiar with the note. So ultimately, the expert, typically a loss carry forward lasts for ten years in Mexico, and I think some of them start running out in 2025 for us. Um, but we'll use those loss carry forwards in 2021, Heiko. Uh, just based off the profitability. So the, the regards to your question for what's are we eating some of that up now, it's similar. Like our production in Q3 and Q4 show that we're now making profit for tax purposes in Mexico. That's continuing here in Q1. Uh, we put out our guidance for 2021 and we expect to be profitable at these prices, hence using up those lost carry forwards. Got it. Thanks for taking my questions. I'll get back in the queue and uh, stay safe. Okay. Thanks, Heiko. The next question comes from Joseph Frieger with Ross Capital Partners. Please go ahead. Morning, guys. Thanks for taking the questions. Yeah, thanks, Joe. So um, looking at kind of the, the results from the fourth quarter, uh, Guanacaste, you, you had slightly higher direct costs there. It, it seems like part of that was related to the purchasing of ore. Um, was there any other factors driving, you know, higher, higher costs there? And then, you know, what are your thoughts on purchasing ore going forward? Yeah, Joe, you're, you're right. We did purchase more ore. Um, obviously with higher prices, we're seeing more of the local miners bring uh third party ore to them, to our processing plant, which we're required to process, I believe up to 10% uh, of local ore just under the terms of when that plant was built. Uh, other thing that's coming through our cost structure in Q4 and it's going to persist in 2021 is royalties and special mining duties. So, so as more profitable in Mexico, we're paying more special mining duties that goes into our KPI metrics. Uh, and the royalties coming from El Curso, which is a property we acquired in 2019. Uh, we didn't have any upfront capital, but it does have a big royalty on it. Uh, significant of our production is actually coming from El Curso, about 50% for 2021. So that's going to persist through through our, our cost structure going forward. Okay. And then um, on the tax front, um, I saw some commentary. I can't remember from which government person, uh, but basically that the Mexican government expects less investment in Mexico in the coming years because their tax structure has become more cumbersome and more expensive and that uh, they believe people are going to look to invest in South America instead. Um, do you think that there's any opportunities to see them kind of roll back some of the taxes they added kind of just after the last peak in the gold cycle? Um, or is that, you know, wishful thinking? I think at this time it's wishful thinking based off the current government regime that's there. Uh, you're hearing a lot of rhetoric out of Mexico with regards to how much Mexican mining companies and Canadian mining companies are paying in taxes. 
the special mining duty was introduced in 2013, plus the uh, environmental duty, which is a 0.5% on gross revenue for precious metal companies. Um, I would guess that none of that's going to get rolled back during this regime. And quite, quite frankly, it would be great if taxes got lower in all jurisdictions, but I would think that going forward there, I'd always be conservative and hope that it stays where we're at now and we'll be comfortable with that. And maybe I can give some more color to that. Um, President AMLO did come out last week in a press conference and state uh, no new mining taxes. Um, I, I guess we're supposed to take that as good news. <laughs> and, um, you know, in the overall scheme of things, the total tax burden in Mexico is around 52, 53%. So right up there with Canada and uh, some other countries, um, not exactly the cheapest jurisdiction in the world. Um, they would love to have more investment, but you know, the, Mexico is caught in the middle of this COVID pandemic with a crash in employment, a crash in, in um, tax incomes to the government, and um, uh, no uh, financial relief in Mexico for poor people like there is in Canada or the States. So um, I think it's steady as she goes in terms of taxes in Mexico. Okay. Um, just continuing on that, maybe one other thing, just real quick. Um, is that part of the reason the company is, is started to look at South American opportunities? Um, and then, uh, on that note, uh, any update on what to expect from Peral this year? Uh, so, yes, we diversified in recent years our exploration projects. We have three active uh, and world-class prospects in northern Chile. We really like Chile as a country. Um, and we're looking at other South American jurisdictions as well as North America. Uh, so not just exclusively Mexico. Uh, and then Peral, after a one-year uh, hiatus in terms of exploration drilling, uh, we resumed in January uh, drilling our Peral project with a $2 million budget to try and grow the resource base there. We've basically got two more years to grow the resource base before Peral goes to economic studies and Terranera is up and running. We'd love to have our project development team move straight from Terranera to uh, Peral in 2024. Okay, thanks. I'll turn it over. The next question comes from Craig Hutchison with TD Securities. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning, guys. Thanks for taking the question. Um, just a question on reserves and resources. You still have fairly substantial indicated resources at Balamitos. You know, what are the opportunities to have some of those um, resources sort of converted into into reserves? And and do you see that the mine life at Balamitos sort of extending well into to next year at this point? Uh, yeah, Bolanitos is a bit different than Guanasvi because the uh, the main area we're mining is underneath a village of of uh, La Luz, which really uh, prevents us from being able to drill from surface. Uh, so uh, almost all of our drilling in use recent years uh, of the La Luz vein system has been from underground, and of course that then it's a cost reward exercise to see uh, how far ahead we want to drill. Can we convert indicated resources uh, to reserves? Uh, certainly to some degree. Um, 
but we're typically run a one-year reserve envelope and an additional couple of years of resources, and I don't think that's going to change just because of the constraints of drilling ahead of the reserve envelope. Um, metal pricing could have some beneficial impact on conversion of resources to reserves as well. Can you remind me, what's the budget for Bolognitos in terms of expiration this year? Uh, it's two and a quarter, two million and two hundred fifty thousand for Brownfields exploration this year. Okay, great. Thanks, guys. Thanks for your questions. The next question comes from Lucas Pipes with B Riley. Please go ahead. Hey, good um, morning, everyone, and uh, well, well done on the quarter. Congratulations there. Uh, Thanks, Joe. Joe asked. Most of my questions earlier, but then I'll I'll, I'll uh, add, add some follow-up questions. Uh, first, on the purchased ore, uh, can you remind us how we should think about margins uh, on that business? Thank you. Yeah, from a margin standpoint, we look to uh, we pay about sixty percent of the value uh, of that ore, and ultimately, when it's all said and done, we share about thirty-five to forty percent with the processing costs and royalties that get put in place. Um, ultimately, it's about 10. Last year, we were closer to 11% total production came from told ore, which is the highest we've historically ever been. Uh, if you go back through the last 10 years, we've approximately been about 6% of our throughputs through told ore. So at current prices, I would imagine we're going to be closer to 10% again this year uh, and, and generally follow the same formula from a purchase standpoint. Uh, of shooting for that 40% profit margin from it. Very helpful, very helpful. I, I appreciate that detail. And then uh, se second follow-up question just on, on Chile. Uh, Brad, you, you mentioned how, uh, you, you know, you like uh, you, you like being there. What, what's kind of the priority in terms of allocating capital towards that region? and and uh, very high level, kind of what, what are some of the catalysts we might be looking forward to when it comes to uh, your Chile opportunities? Thank you. Uh, thanks, uh, Lucas. Uh, we've been in Chile for, I think, eight years. Uh, we've generally run half million to one and a half million dollar annual budgets. So we've actually done a pretty significant investment to acquire, explore, and prepare for drilling our three projects. Uh, we're currently drilling one of them. The Paloma project in the far north of Chile is a arguably 5 million ounce gold equivalent high sulfidation epithermal target, so open pit, uh, potentially heat bleach. Um, but early days yet. We just started drilling it last year, and we hope to have some results here in the next month or two. Um, we're um, probably going to partner our copper-rich project. Cerro Marquez is a copper-gold porphyry. Again, we've spent several years and several million dollars grooming it. Uh, it's drill ready, and uh, we've had a lot of expressions of interest from copper majors, so uh, we've signed some confidentiality agreements, and our preference is to bring on a partner at Cerro Marquez, which leaves our third project, AIDA. And AIDA is our extension of the Bolivian silver belt down into the northernmost Chile. Um, and uh, again, it's drill ready. It's a massive alteration zone with uh, very strong indications of uh, open pit silver. Um, we don't have the drill permit yet. We expect it late this year, and it would lead to a drill program at AIDA either uh, this year or next year. 
So we really liked Northern Chile. We focused on world-class prospects when we acquired these things during the bear market. Uh, we're not done yet. We'll keep continue to try and grow that pipeline. And the whole goal of, of our Chilean um, exposure is to uh, get into uh, a discovery that has world-class potential and ultimately to add it to the development pipeline. This is very helpful, caller. Uh, I appreciate all the detail and uh, continue best of luck. Thank you. Thanks. Once again, if you have a question, please press star then one. The next question comes from Henry Westerndare, a private investor. Please go ahead. Well, gentlemen, you seem to have had a very, very good fourth quarter. And uh, that uh, strikes me that the future in 2021 and beyond uh, could be very substantial. And without pushing the envelope too far, uh, could you comment on uh, 2021? Uh, in terms of our public guidance, we've guided uh, our production to be uh, similar to slightly higher than last year. So I think uh, 6.1 to 7.1 million ounces of silver equivalent production forecasted this year. Obviously, uh, the performance in Q4 with the lower costs and higher metal prices is a pretty good guide for how we're going to do financially this year. We don't provide financial mm -hmm. guidance, but uh, Q4 is certainly a good indicator. You provided a little when you said that you're going to use up the uh, tax loss carry forward in Mexico this year. Uh, would you say you're going to use it up very, very safely? Just about use it up, or is it dicey? Uh, using up those loss carry forwards, uh, it's just a function of production and what we've used historically from a cost standpoint. So. Uh, we have multiple entities in, in Mexico and at Guanacaste from 2016 to 2019, we had challenges financially and we accumulated those lost mm -hmm. carry forwards and hopefully over, like I say, the next 16 months, uh, we eat through those lost carry forwards. Excellent. Excellent. For what it's worth, I've been with you since 2003, up and down, and I think we're going up again. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks for your questions. The next question comes from Rahim Mama with Arcadia Economics. Please go ahead. Um, hi, guys. Thank you for having me. Uh, congratulations on a great quarter four. Um, my question has to do around, uh, has to do with the developments that uh, arose during quarter four um, and mostly quarter one, um, specifically with the silver squeeze and the manipulation of the price of silver on the COMEX. My question is, um, does Endeavor have, you know, any strategic plan to deal with this, to combat the manipulation? An idea I've heard is withholding 5% of um, production. Uh, I just have, you know, I just want to hear your answers around that and, um, you know, the future concerning that. Well, thank you for your question. Um, I guess I've got two different answers because there's really two different issues here. With regard to our sales strategy and whether we withhold or accelerate silver sales, um, that's typically a short-term decision based on our short-term view on the direction of the silver price. 
And we have in the past, for instance, when we felt that the solar price was rising, um, held back our sales. For instance, most recently last September, we built up a finished goods inventory because of the crash in the solar price late September. In the presumption that uh, silver would bounce back in Q4, which it did with a bang, and we were able to sell that accumulated inventory and make extra profit on it. So we do this from time to time. It's a sales strategy. Um, with regard to the uh, infamous uh, silver short squeeze, um, you know, <laughs> I have a lot to say on it, and I actually posted and asked the CEO comment on our website a, f a few weeks ago, so you're welcome to go and read that. But my view on this is perhaps a bit different than, than most. I don't think it was a silver squeeze. I think it was a classic pump and dump by some knowledgeable investors who did purchase $35 call options on silver before posting on Reddit. Those options on the Tuesday before the Reddit posting were 35 cents, 30 to 35 cents. And on the following Monday after promoting it for three days, those options were worth $1.65. So I think some smart investors made a lot of money on that uh, very short-term pump and dump. I don't think it was a squeeze at all. Secondly, it's very difficult to squeeze silver because banks are generally agnostic to the silver price. What I mean by that is that they're generally neither long nor short, uh, or more accurately, they're long physical sitting in vaults and they're short paper. And, you know, banks um, using fractional banking do lend out their assets. If you run down to the local branch, your cash is being lent out uh, several times. Uh, and uh, that is probably the case in silver, but it's not manipulation. It's, a, it's simply a function of what banks do. Uh, the, the, and to be honest, uh, if investors were to try and squeeze silver and buy physical, buy the ETF, buy the call options, uh, what's a bank going to do? They're sitting on physical. So um, they're the ones who are actually going to make money at higher prices. And they can roll out of, like they're typically hedging their silver, right? They uh, And... Uh, it doesn't cost them anything to roll out of uh, the short position and set it higher and roll out of it and set it higher. And they could do that all the way up to $1,000 silver. So I, I don't think um, there is a mother of all squeezes to be had in silver. I think it's a function, by the way, and this is my last comment on this. Silver, amongst all the metals traded in the options and futures market, is different. Why is it different? Because of all the common metals, it's the only one that is a byproduct of other mines. It's a byproduct of copper mines, lead zinc mines, gold mines. And those big diversified global producers of copper, lead zinc, and gold typically sell forward their silver, lock in the revenue stream for their byproduct so they are unhedged on their primary products. What that means is that silver, amongst all the metals, has a massively higher uh, derivative book compared to the other metals and compared to physical. And that's because diversified miners sell forward their silver. Who buys it? The banks enter into those forward contracts. So now they have not only physical, they have a commitment to buy more physical. And because they're agnostic, they balance that, that long commitment with a derivative short. And that's the structure of the silver market. So I think it's very, very challenging to try and squeeze something like silver, because the 
the main uh, beneficiaries of higher solar prices would be the bankers and the miners. Okay. Um, so kind of going off that, this is my last question. Thank you for your answer. What is your projection for silver in 2021? <laughs> Crystal ball. Well, <clears throat> I'm not shy when it comes to uh, forecasting internally, but I rarely do it externally. Uh, we obviously think that there's a silver bull market well underway, precious metal market well underway. <clears throat> it's probably got years to run. I say that for two reasons. In the case of precious metals, primarily gold, um, there's a whole backdrop of uh, record low interest rates, massive government intervention, uh, no change in the Fed view for at least two more years, maybe three. Uh, so the, the fundamentals underlying a higher uh, gold price and therefore a higher solar price are very strong. Uh, but silver, again, is not just a precious metal, it's an industrial metal. And the industrial side of silver is really taking off. You know, silver is a green metal. Um, you can't have an electronics industry without silver. You can't have solar photovoltaic power without silver. You can't have um, electric vehicles without silver. You can't have 5G technology, telephonics, without silver. And I think there is an emerging appreciation, finally, amongst generalist investors that silver is a go-to metal in a green economy. Okay. Thank you very much for your answer. Thanks for your questions. This concludes the question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to Bradford Cook, the CEO, for any closing remarks. Well, thank you, operator, and thanks all for listening in today. Um, obviously, uh, this is a, a, a great year 2020 was a great year for us very satisfying after some challenging years uh, q4 was a great way to finish the year and i think it's a, a good guide to how we expect to do in 2021 thanks again stay tuned this concludes today's conference call you may disconnect your lines thank you for participating and have a pleasant day Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.